Before we begin, TR and I would like to acknowledge that we are currently recording on the land of the Darug and Gurunga peoples. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. As South Asians, while we do demand visibility, we know that this cannot be done in good faith without listening to the Indigenous people of this land. Hey there, sorry to pop on right before the episode actually starts. Just wanted to say that this is going to be part one of a two-part episode on identity, culturally diverse terms. So in this part, we are going to be talking to the fabulous Jessica Harwood on what it means to be white passing, how that interacts with terms like being a person of color, and then in the second part, which you will hear in two weeks' time, it'll be a rant <laughs> from Tiara and I about how the things that we learn in school interact with the way we perceive what it means to be a person of color, what it feels like to be misidentified, how religion plays into this as well. So buckle up, because this is an incredible episode. Massive thank you to Jess. And yeah, let's get into it. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Not To Be Controversial. My name is Basha and I am joined by the wonderful, incredible, amazing Tiara. Ah, why do you have to gas me up so much during intros? I feel so, I feel so special. And that's the point. <laughs> you and your Basha. baby boy. <laughs> oh no, it came through. Oh fuck. Wait, no, 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 no. We cut, cut, cut that out. Uh, or not. You guys already know I'm a bit of a dope it's a little bit it's fine (laughs) you make up for it in other areas it's okay (laughs) do i do Uh, i actually not not in your henna not in your artistic mehendi skills i'll say that i'm pretty awful at that (laughs) oh yeah vasha guys vasha came over to my house and she did such nice henna on me and I was like, you know what? I'm going to freestyle. I don't need to, to Google anything. I don't need any artistic integrity. It's, it's henna. But, and then I like, it like might actually know it doesn't look like the child has done it because my niece, who's five years old, could do 10 times Oh, better. yeah, no, for sure. And the thing is, like, I was in um, Zoom meetings. Like, it's just Zoom, I know. But I was in, I was interviewing, like, politicians the two days after, um, and I couldn't lift my hand up because every time I did, I'd be like, fuck, there's like an eyebrow on my hand because Tiara drew a face on it and like it just wouldn't wash off. And then I found and then I found out I had to go to an in-person event. So I had to use acetone on my hand to get it off, like nail polish remover. I scrubbed and scrubbed and it came off. I'm not dramatic. No. Did I reduce your life expectancy by like Basically. three and a half minutes, probably? <laughs> No, you can use you can use lemon juice and baking soda. That's how I got mine off. <laughs> okay, well you should have told me that before. I was like on Google being like how to get rid of ASAP and and yeah, I just used acetone. It came off. Look, I'm still alive now, so it's fine. I probably <laughs> put worse things on my skin. It's okay. <laughs> no, no, you're so funny. It was funny. Um, <laughs> never again though. <laughs> Oh god, yeah, um, never again. But today's episode is is pretty special. Uh we have the incredible Jessica Harwood on our podcast today. Guys, as Vasha so kindly introduced, today we're going to be speaking to Jess Harwood. 
Now, if you don't know who Jess is, I highly encourage you to stalk her social as I do probably on a weekly basis. But if you don't know, Jess is an illustrator, communications professional and environmental campaigner living on unceded Gadigal land or Sydney. Initially training as a lawyer, Jess worked on shark conservation at Humane Society International and most recently on climate change communications. Jess uses her art, comics and infotunes to explain and drive people to take action on climate and environmental issues and has had her work featured by the BBC, ABC and in The Guardian. Jess's artworks have been used in many climate change organisations and campaigns, including the Climate Council, the Fight for the Reef campaign and by the Gas Free Hunter Alliance. Thank you so much for joining us, Jess. We are really honoured and just excited to hear about your insights of what it means to be white passing and how terms like being a person of colour and all this other jargon that we have um, actually makes you feel and how you feel like you fit into that as well. Or maybe don't fit into that, whatever you feel in. <laughs> Thanks, Pasha. It's a real honour actually to join you guys. I'm, I've been a fan of your podcast for a very long time and a fan of you, both of you. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I've known Jess for a few years and she's quite incredible. Um, so do you want to start by introducing yourself, telling us about your ethnicity, heritage, whatever you call it, wherever you're actually from, you know, those kinds of things. Where am I really from? That is a really good question. Um, well, hi, everyone. I'm Jess. Uh, I live on Gadigal land in Sydney and I am a white passing person of colour who uh, my dad is British, so I have British citizenship and my mum is Indian and comes from, well, all over North India really is where our family's from. Um, and so I've kind of grown up amongst two cultures at home and then Australian culture on top that I guess yeah and I guess when you say that you're a white passing person of color when there's people of color spaces and groups how do you feel like you sit within that mm. and like especially having two different cultures what was that experience like and what is it now yeah honestly it it's all very oh it feels a bit awkward sometimes and feels a bit confusing I think it might be something that I'm probably going to work through for the rest of my life, to be honest. But um, <clears throat> just being, um, yeah, I think it was a couple of years ago, really, um, where I realised, talking actually to trans folks in my life, that how I felt as my identity was actually um, more important than how I looked. Um, and up until that point, I was kind of, you know, people would pigeonhole me as being a, a white person because I have brown hair and blue eyes. And I thought that was that was kind of what, my identity had to be because that's what everybody thought of me, but it never really sitted, it never really sat really well with me because I didn't, you know, feel like all the other um, folks, the Anglo folks that I grew up with, um, who, you know, whose backgrounds are fully British and Irish and um, Scottish and the rest of it. And so, yeah, it's sort of, I've been really much more deliberate in the last couple of years of putting forward my identity and how I feel as opposed to um what people would expect of me based on how I look if that makes sense yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and do you feel like you have to justify it or how does it work in a conversation I guess like even in spaces that you work with and you're meeting new people um if they're a person of color do you feel like you have to introduce yourself and 
and talk mm. about your heritage and be like, oh, wait, like one parent and then another yes. parent and then like my cousins and my like friends and yes. just explain that. Oh, it's so hilarious, actually. Well, sometimes it's hilarious. Sometimes it's frustrating because, um, you know, I I feel I really get how, you know, when people see people who look like them, there's there's this kind of assumption that of shared experiences and shared culture and and closeness. And so. I kind of feel that when I see people of color, but I also get how like I feel that when I see other like feel see other other people who are white, and not that I identify as white, but I know that I look like them, and I see how that closeness kind of forms, and so I I have to be really upfront about my identity because it's not obvious, um, and you get some very funny responses sometimes, like like a bunch of white folks kind of ask you know how many times a week do you eat curry you know do you do you wear these clothes you know they want to know how Indian like they'll actually ask how Indian are you and that's such a weird question because like do you ask the answer based on you know I don't know genetics do I say 50% because I'm 50% from my mum or you know do I have to say oh like I I cook I cook curries like five times a week you know that makes me x amount Indian like it's just such a weird question to answer um but you know I, I realize that I obviously have to explain myself a bit more than other people because it's not obvious um so I don't know. I'm kind of, those questions, are, I take them more now as curiosity rather than kind of, uh, I don't know, a frust- they don't make me that frustrated anymore, but they were in the past. They kind of made me feel like I had to justify who I was to everybody. Um, yeah, but I don't do that anymore. I don't feel like that anymore, I don't think. But that's such a stupid question. Like, I can't believe people ask that. Like, how many times a week do you cook curry? Is it like less than two? You're not actually Indian. More than two or three, you're you're Indian. <laughs> Pretty much, like yeah, that's right. Is it like more fifty percent of the week or more? Like <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what they're expecting. You know, as answers to that either. Um, and the weird, I think the weirdest ones is where they they really look deeply into my face and they're kind of trying to identify things that they think are Indian in my face, and that's so awkward because I'm just standing there being like looked at <laughs> and, and also I doubt that they would know what Indian features look like anyway and so they're doomed to fail in my opinion but yeah like, yeah it's just awkward <laughs> exactly I mean like who are they to judge how Indian you are that's it yeah and that's I think that's the big change I've had in the last um five years is like I realized about five years ago that people were pigeon like looking at me and going that's a that's a white chick and I was thinking, okay, that's that's what I am because other people think I am. But now um, I'm much more kind of upfront with how I feel about my identity. And I think, you know, you sometimes you have to reinforce that with people, but people do um, respect it, I think. Um, or they're more open to it these days, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, like, if your conversations are like that with white people, how are they with other people of color I guess and like people who Mm. aren't white passing is there any like judgment and I because I feel like in India there at least like I guess from my experiences knowing other people there always is a little bit of a divide yeah 
Yeah, I have some really weird experiences. Like, I, I mean, I should probably start by acknowledging I do have white privilege as a result of how I look. So, you know, nobody ever directs racism at me or says, you know, like p- targets me with assumptions or ask me where I come from or things like that because, you know, I guess I look like I, I'm white and I'm Australian in their mind. Um, not that you have to be white to be Australian, obviously, but to them they think that. Um, but like I do weirdly get into these situations as a result of that where people try to draw me into their racism um, in social situations or like I was in a taxi once in Townsville and the guy, you know, obviously he was driving us to the airport and he was going on about how many Indians were moving into Townsville and he was sort of like making all these implications that that would mean Townsville was like being taken over and stuff. And I was just sitting in the back being like, Hmm, he has no idea that he's talking to someone with Indian heritage. And at the time I was too kind of, I was just, you know, alone in a taxi in Townsville, so I didn't say anything. But I'm much more uh, like up for kind of calling that now and going, oh, do you realise like my mum comes from India, so I'm Indian. And, <laughs> and it's actually quite delightful to kind of catch people in surprise like that sometimes because, you know, t- they live in a world of like, very simplistic black and white um and we're much the world's so much more complicated than what they think yeah yeah you're like a double agent almost like a spy you're just sitting (laughs) there like yep 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 i look white then you're like actually oh i think you've dropped out vasha can you hear me yeah oh Sorry, yeah, um, I, I just lost you for a moment there. But, yeah, yes, I am a double agent and hopefully for good, uh, not for evil. That's so funny, though. Oh, my God. Um, but what would you – like, what's your connection to your culture been like then? Do you ever feel like you've had to push it away or has it made you more connected um, in being white passing? Mm, that's really interesting. I think – um, you know, a lot of people describe if you're like into race, um, or multiracial, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you're half Indian or you're half British or whatever. And, um, that's a really weird way to be because or a way, weird way to connect with your culture. Cause when, you know, when I'm with my Indian family, I'm, I'm like a hundred percent there and hundred percent part of that family and history and heritage and culture. I'm not they're kind of 50%. Um, and, you know, similarly with my other culture. So, you know, it, it's sort of, I just feel, I'm, I think I'm still grappling with this, but I still feel like I'm 100% in both cultures. Um, and, you know, I definitely don't pretend like I'm, I wasn't born in India and I'm not the most Indian person that I know. Um, but I do feel very connected to you know, my family in India and my the stories of my family and, you know, that's a really important part of who I am, like it is for, like, all of us. Um, and, yeah, I'm, like, I'm 100% in that, not not just 50%, you know. Um, so I do connect with it all the time. Yeah, and has it made connecting with family different as well? Or, like, I guess when you go back to India, do you go back to India? I do, yeah. I've been there about 
seven or eight times now. Okay, there we go. You fulfilled my criteria of being Indian. (laughs) Is it? Seven trips. Six trips, no, but seven. Yep, I'm in. (laughs) I get asked that question, though, of like, do you go back to India often? And then I have to like justify and be like, yeah, I generally go every like two years or like whatever. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. no. It's, it's that, like I think in a couple of decades, maybe we will have a more nuanced understanding of what it is to connect with culture. Because you know you can do it in so many different ways, and there's so many. You know, there's like I know, like I have Indian friends in Australia who don't want to associate with Indian culture at all. You know, and that's totally fine. And um, it's like it's also a choice, isn't it? Whether you whether you connect with it or not. It's there if it's part of your background. It's you know it's there for you to to help understand where you're from and who you are. Yeah, and you were saying that you like have come to terms with the fact that you identify not as a white person but as a person of color, like relatively recently. How did you mm. kind of come to that? Mm. It was actually talking to. Um, the trans people in my life, which made me realize, like, not I'm not at all equating my experience with, you know, a trans person who gets misgendered in every conversation, which must be absolutely um, devastating, really, to uh, that person in asserting their identity. But I do get it sometimes when people assume my identity is something it's not. And I, so I've had a little insight into what trans people feel in possibly, like, most of the you know, interactions that they might have in a day. And it feels really rough, you know. And I was talking to um, someone uh, who was being really assertive about, you know, their pronouns and, and you know, I talked to them a bit more about it. And I realised that, you know, that they are being assertive about their identity and how they – but it's not what other people – the identity other people put on them. It's the identity that they feel. And – it kind of clicked with me that actually how you feel is much more important um, to how you present in the world than what other people would pigeonhole you as. So it was, it was kind of a strange realization that it took so long for me to realize that, but you know, it was really, it, I don't know what watching the trans people in my life really inspired me to, to be much more upfront with how I feel about my identity. And yeah, so that, it took me, I think I was about 20, I don't know, late 20s before I really grappled with it. Yeah. That's a long time. <laughs> well, I mean, like, even when I met you, I remember I, I did not know that um, yeah. you had Indian heritage <laughs> at all. Yeah. Until, like, four years in. I just thought you had a cousin who was Oh, Indian. really? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, so, yeah. and... You would have met me probably when um, when I wasn't really upfront about it, actually. Mm. So I don't know. Maybe like, I'm much, much more upfront about it now. So if we'd met now, I would have been like, hey, I'm Indian too, just yeah. so you know. Yeah. No, and I think that's so, that's so, so interesting because um, I just would not have known at all. Even like I we talked a little bit as well and it just never came up in the conversation. And I don't think I ever brought up my culture either. Like I think the way we talk about culture now is quite different in itself. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And we do talk a lot more about culture. I mean, you know, um, we're both part of Sapna South Asian Climate Solidarity and culture is essential to that in how we show up in all, you know, all spaces. Um, 
and it's just really nice, you know, connecting with um, you and everyone else in that group. I thought I was the one that had the most identity kind of confusion or or anything, <laughs> but I've realised that like, everybody has some level of, of confusion with their identity and especially when you're like a person of colour in a majority white kind of place, it's, it is very confusing and there's a lot to work through, um, you know, that sense of belonging and inclusion especially. Yeah, and I guess it also brings up the things of how much privilege you have in those spaces as well, like in a, mm. in a bigger working space because I know that, like for me, it's like, oh, like my family supports what I'm doing so at least I don't have to answer to those questions constantly. Um, mm. And like racially, I'm not like super dark skinned so that's okay for me. Um, mm. And I guess I've had to confront a lot of like, oh, well, I used to think this way and this way and actually be racist probably as well. Um, mm. And how do I deal with that? So how are you finding, like, what what has it been like to be a white passing person in those spaces and in a broader working space? Um, mm. And have you had those kinds of feelings of, like, confrontation, I guess? Mm. Yeah, I... I have, I think, probably slightly different experience to you because I'm, I'm not like obviously um, of another, you know, of a person of color, and I have to like, I think my main thing is that I have to just insert that and like I have to actually use my words to show up as a person of color. It's not just obvious, um, but I do acknowledge, you know, that it's much easier. Like in some of the spaces that we work in, you know, there might be mostly white men and I you know you kind of see and you read a room and you know often the white guys will talk to the white guys or and then the you know there's kind of like layers of that and you know when I'm in a room with say white women um I think they connect with me you know in a way that they think is is sort of safe maybe or easy um and I totally get why um you know showing up in a, a very white space um, as a person of colour who's like visibly a person of colour would be so much more challenging because there's maybe not that ease of you know, assuming that, that, you know, the person you're talking to has a similar experience to you. Um, so I think I'm, I do, I do have a lot of privilege in those spaces, but I'm like, I hope that I'm using that privilege to make space and make changes so that, um, you know, especially in say the climate movement or, um, you know, sort of activist spaces that people of colour, especially women of colour, can show up in a more safe um, space and actually be heard. Um, so I don't know, having, you know, being white passing does have it, its advantages sometimes, I think. Um, and, it, yeah, so so it's very – I don't know if I'm explaining that really. No, no, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Later. Yeah. And, like <laughs> – It's just that ease with, like, you approach a person and you just can assume that they – understand a little bit of your experience um, and I think that's kind of uh, maybe as a white passing person of colour I, I think I get that from white women and but I also like I approach you know when I meet a person if I'm in a space and a person of colour is there I feel an ease with them because my family you know are all people of colour and I and you know but reciprocating that from that person I have to kind of um, explain myself to mm. be able to get that ease um, and you know that that does happen and I'm happy to do that I obviously have to do that 
Um, but it's just interesting to think that to look at all the interactions that are going on in a space in that way. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't see anything wrong with trying to also use a system that has been created for white people um, and using that to, to make it safer for others. Like, I think that's incredible. But, like, what does it actually look like? Like, a lot of white people themselves will talk about, you know, using their privilege for other people. But as a white-passing person of colour, what does it look like for you to, I guess, mm. allow others as well? Um, I, so, you know, I work in, um, sort of communications media mainly for me, it kind of means, um, that someone, I don't know where I've heard the term, but the step up, step back, um, sort of phrase is really important. It's sort of like step up, create the space or an opportunity and then step back and let someone else take that opportunity. Um, so that's what it actually means to me. And I, you know, I hope I, um, I'm able to do that, especially in like media in Australia where, you know, <laughs> everyone is kind of, it's like very white dominated and not very culturally diverse. So it's really important in particular in the, you know, if you're working in that space to, you know, create the media opportunity and then give it to a person of colour, give it to someone with, you know, South Asian heritage or, you know, who, um, before you know like I don't speak publicly really this is probably the first time I've ever really talked about being a white person oh, uh, sorry white passing thank you we're um, honored. <laughs> no I'm honored <laughs> but like it's I kind of I'm not a spokesperson in in that way I much rather create the space for other people to be the spokespeople who who can tell you know who you know have actually probably more lived experience of racism than I have um and yeah so I think that's what it means to me to use that privilege to make space yeah and like I guess even just like going to the grocery store with a parent or something like that because I think there's generally an assumption of like oh well obviously Mm. they're like different skin colors so they must not be related like do those kinds of incidents happen oh my god all the time like especially when I was younger um you know, people would be like, and how do you two know each other <laughs> to me and my mum? And I'd be like, this is my mum. <laughs> and, and they were like, oh, like, I don't know what they were assuming, like that she was my nanny or something. But like, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it would happen all the time. Um, and yeah, because we do, you know, in some ways, I think as I'm growing older, I look much more like my mum. But I think when I was younger, it was I don't know, people just wanted an explanation. Mm. Um, I also, I don't know, I can, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, I can see some of those um, microaggressions kind of targeted at family members that I don't necessarily get, or I might just get as a woman, but not just, not as a woman and person of colour. So it's an interesting perspective on the world, actually, to kind of, uh, be that double agent and watch the interactions um, that happen. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's, yeah, the double agent, I love that. <laughs> Just so confusing. <laughs> um, my last question for you, Jess, was mm. if there are other people out there who are struggling with, I guess, I feel like cultural identity is an issue for so many of us, but in particular Mm. being a white passing person of colour that obviously has more complexity to it, what kind of advice would you give 
to another person struggling with that mm. and wanting to come to terms. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In the last couple of years, I've met, like, I've, I've known people for years and I didn't realize that they, they were actually, I assumed they were, you know, white. Um, but then I find out that they're not. And I'm like, I've really connected with them and just chatted with them through all the complexities of, you know, kind of coming out as a white passing person of color, um, what it means and what, you know, how to do it, you know, in a, in a, ethical kind of way and not obviously claim space but also assert your identity I would just say connect with other people um and talk to if you can find other people there there are some like Instagram accounts which are helpful um but I think it's a very individual path to working out your identity and how you feel because um everyone's got slightly different circumstances or like wants different things. Maybe some people don't want to identify. They're just happy with how they are or, you know, maybe it would help some people. I think it's super individual. Um, and, yeah, so I think just give yourself some space to work it out. It's taken me my whole life, I think, to get to this point and I don't know where I'm going, like, where it's going from here just become more and more comfortable <laughs> with that identity but it's it's a process um yeah I don't know if that's good advice no that's great not, advice but <laughs> no and that actually raised another question for me if that's okay mm. um yeah go for it but you're an artist um mm. he's quite incredible and like you do a lot of political commentary and that sort of thing do you think having some sort of white privilege has helped in those spaces because mm. I guess like the art industry itself is so incredibly difficult to make it mm. in um if you'll say that so how mm. do you think that's do you feel like that's been a benefit maybe or do you think that there's just it's just still really really difficult like what does it look like mm. I think definitely my, my impression of the art world is if you're a white man you're sweet <laughs> if you're um you know it's a bit harder for everyone else um I don't know if I've really cracked the the art world as such but um you know I definitely sort of jumped on um jumped on like Instagram and you know it basically putting comics up when big things happen political comics I think um I think it probably does help um I'll tell you a little story, actually. A couple of years ago, um, I went to a cartooning exhibition that's held every year and it was the first time I loved that exhibition. It was the first time I'd kind of walked through and I'd realised that every cartoonist in there, apart from one or two, was a white man um, because they're the guys who've had the, the comic, political comic jobs in the newspapers for, you know, for years and years and years, decades in, even, and it's really hard for people um, like emerging artists, especially emerging people of colour artists to to get into that field because those jobs are few and they've been taken already by, you know, guys in the, you know, decades old. Um, and so I did give them some feedback about that and they did, they, they said they are going to look at further afield. But I don't know, it, the, the question about art and privilege is, is so complicated. I think it's it's more complicated than just whether you're a person of colour or not. It's also about like economic privilege and um, whether you, you know, whether you're from a family that can support you if you try your art and that fails miserably, you know. Um, 
and so there's heaps of intersections in that I think um which also you know do will largely come back to um you know communities of color and and where they're based in cities and what they you know whether they get arts funding for example um I think there's a growing awareness of like in the arts granting community that we do need to grant money to communities of color to tell their stories um because there's no other way that they can afford to you know they don't have the ability to you know go down to part-time and try their build an art career like that's just not an option so yeah I don't know it's very that's a very complicated answer I'm sorry but but no no it is a a complicated thing though like being an artist in itself yeah and I do wish you know like I do look at a lot of um really successful artists um and they do tend to be white guys generally I mean they're very talented I'm not saying they're not talented at all but um I don't know there's I think there's probably a PhD in that to be honest yeah no and it's a saturation of that as well yeah and also I do think you've cracked the art world I disagree with everything you've just said um (laughs) you're the only review that matters to me so I'm happy with that that's going on my website (laughs) it says cracked the art world (laughs) yes Yes, please do. Please. <laughs> I can even give you a LinkedIn reference, whatever. Like, those, Oh, my gosh, the best. Those singers, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, okay, I, okay, that gave me another question. Sorry, I swear this is the last yeah. one. No, no, go for it. Um, having a great chat. <laughs> when you went and told the people running the exhibition, like, hey, I think we should have a little bit more representation, mm. diversity, um, how did that feel being a white passing person of colour? Mm. and asking for um, it was it was a hard experience actually well actually it um what happened was I put up a little review on Instagram for everyone to see and someone working at that organization who was a person of color reached out and um and like really agreed and she I think hats off to her she really made the change happen um but it was, yeah, it, I, I don't know whether they, I guess I have, you know, have a white name maybe when they got the email from me as well, they kind of might have taken it a, a bit more seriously. They were all like, I think they were all mainly white people involved in the curation. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, there was that one woman um, who really made, I think she really like told them that you, you have to take this seriously. This is a problem. Um, and internally she did make a change and I think it has changed. The exhibition has changed this year, which is fabulous. I don't know whether it's like radically more representation, but just the fact that, you know, there, there were more, you know, women and artists of color involved was, um, you know, according to people who know that exhibition, that was like a big deal because it's a pretty, um, it was apparently quite a conservative kind of institution. So, yeah, um, I felt good about that change. Um, but it was a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a drawn out process, I think. Yeah, and I guess the fact that it had to fall, the burden had to fall on you being a white passing person of colour and another person of colour to make that change mm. um, and to totally. educate them as well and be like, hey, like maybe don't do this next time yeah. and have more representation. That just sounds frustrating. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it was, um, 
I don't know. Like uh, you, I know that it's. There's also another conversation about like who is a political commentator in the cartoon world and who gets to be that. Um, and I really think that needs a massive shakeup because, like, you know, some sometimes you know white male cartoonists com- commenting on say indigenous issues that just doesn't sit right to me. And you know, like there's there are so many talented First Nations artists that could do that, and the the you know we just have to spend some time for the newspapers to find them, or they just need to reach out to those guys. And um, you know, there's a big conversation about that, but um, yeah, it's I'm pretty passionate about diversity in the arts and um, in the especially political commentary because that's that's kind of cutting and that that's real to people's lives. It's not just like a bowl of fruit with a nice vase of flowers. Like that's actually, that can make change. And so that who gets to comment on that as a artist is really important to me, Mm. to to all of us really. Yeah. And it's like, I know I get a lot of my news from like, from, from art, from political art, Mm. not only your Instagram, but even in other like in in the media on tv they do show a lot of it like oh did you see this photo of you know whichever politician and like we saw how it hate and like vilification julia Mm. gillard and those kinds of people get just because they're women so if we just have men drawing these cartoons as well i think it does go to say something absolutely yeah and i mean oh can i just tell you about the cartoon i'm kind of most proud about from last year which was about the um you know the travel ban that from India during the Delta wave, which was horrific in my mind. It was like, yeah, a race, totally racist. It was the first time I think biosecurity legislation was used against people, I think. Um, uh, Or there was something about that that relied on biosecurity legislation. But like months before that, you know, there was a huge um, COVID wave in the US and people were able to come back from there and the UK but it was just when it started happening in India that they were that you know the former government was like well we've got to stop this and so I did do a cartoon about I did several cartoons about that actually and they were some of the most viral no pun intended cartoons that went off last year like because and that was really a really great chance for me to connect with you know my culture and my story like it's like my mum used to go would go to India to look after family and with that travel ban like she would not be able to do that I could so imagine her being stuck in Delhi airport not being able to get home after you know having to go and look after family like that's that's a real concern and and it happened to people you know there were families that were separated by that yeah Um, yeah yeah, and I think it also just kind of it, – it's just another way to, like, divide people and culture mm. and everything. And it probably also raised a lot of, like, white fragility issues and, like, how do you have these conversations without being really rude but also saying that, yeah, this is, like, completely racist feel, um, especially yeah. during a pandemic when people's lives are at stake. Yeah, right. I did get a bit trolled for that, actually. There were some people – and I was a bit disappointed because some people who were – who I thought were quite progressive, but then were like, oh, no, but it it makes sense. We have to protect Australia from <laughs> from that. And I'm just like, oh, God, really? Oh, man. From Australians? Like, that's crazy. You wouldn't say that if they were 
you didn't say that when they were coming back from the UK and they were mainly white. So exactly. And like the UK literally had no laws on it as well for ages. Yeah. And now they don't. But we're all like, let's go to the UK. Let's do our thing. Um, totally. And also just like the fact that you don't really have the privilege to social distance in India, other than if you're probably oh, really yeah. wealthy. Um, yeah. That's right. And, and, you know, and just also hearing all the stories from family about the actual reality of um, of what happened during the pandemic there, like it was just awful and, you know, people needed, if they wanted to be able to come home to Australia um, or, you know, were living here, then they should have been allowed. Anyway, I've they reversed that after a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, and I um, think it was because of the work that people like you did about educating people why this is wrong and that kind of put an uproar. Mm. That's right, yeah. I know, it was just so obvious in the end that it was um, because of skin colour. Yeah, and I feel <laughs> that like... That they couldn't stand by it. Yeah, and I think there's also just a, a stigma around getting COVID in in south asian communities i don't know if that's just mm. me it was just an interesting thing to think about yeah yeah i know and like i guess australia has seen a lot of racist attacks during covid as well just in general like on people from china i don't know and yeah that's that's a tangent that like the history of pandemics and racism and because colonialism. they're like <laughs> and colonialism that's right God. <laughs> I love how we went from like, what's it like being a white passing person of color to pandemics or active colonialism? Right, by uh, changing the art world. But, <laughs> but it is really true. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right, well, I might let you go. Thank you for letting us take up your time. We really, really appreciate it. Hello, guys. That was our awesome awesome interview with jessica i love her so much you guys can check her out on instagram she is one of the most talented human beings i know um at jess harwood art on instagram and on facebook she if you also want to get a commission from her she takes commissions um but yeah just go check her out beautiful human beautiful activist beautiful artist beautiful everything um, I'm very happy to have interviewed her and that Vasha and I got to speak to her. Or more so Vasha because I wasn't there, I don't think. But, <laughs> but <laughs> you're like, I'm so happy. I'm like, great. I was like, yeah, I wasn't there. I had, yeah. So I was, sorry, Jess. I'm sorry. Oh um, my God. I'm very bad that I wasn't there. But yes, but thank you guys so much for listening and have a good week. And sorry for the lateness of this episode, but. We shall see you in a fortnight. Yeah, in a fortnight with part two of this incredible series that this has turned into, I guess. So have a fabulous week and we'll catch you soon. Bye.